Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm joined by the CEO and co-founder of Keep previously known as Infusionsoft. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this interview because this guy, I don't know if he really realizes what an influence he's been on me as a CEO. And, you know, I've used, of course, I've used the software for, you know, it's over 10 years, 11 years I've been using the software, um, but also been inspired by how he's led and built such an amazing company, such an amazing culture. And so uh, really excited to welcome to the Empire Builders podcast, Mr. Clayt Mask. Nick, so great to be with you. I'm excited to be on the Empire Builders podcast. This is going to be fun. It certainly is. So I want to dive straight in. When did you first create, found Infusionsoft as it was back then? Yeah, um, 19 years ago. 19 years ago. So what, 2001, 2002? 2002 is when we started doing uh, sales and marketing software for small businesses. Now, it was very different back then, and it was custom software, and it was several years before we got our first product, which was known as Infusion. Well, it wasn't even, it wasn't even initially known as Infusionsoft. It was um, Managed Pro CRM and you know, all these different names, and then it became Infusionsoft about 2008, I think, so seven, something like that. But listen, by the way, this wasn't even where I was going to go to start the interview, but that in itself is fascinating to me. And I think our listeners should pay attention to what you just said. You didn't come up with Infusionsoft from day one, and then it became this huge thing, this worldwide company. You came up with the first version, which was custom software, and then you came up with the first brand, and then that became um, an off-the-shelf software, and then it changed with brand and functionality, and you kind of built it in the air, as you like. And, uh, And I think not enough entrepreneurs and business owners see it that way. They think it's got to be perfect from the get-go, and that's why they don't get started. Totally. And, and I love the fact we get to talk about it because a lot of times people think that we just raised some capital and started doing this. No, 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 no. Like we, we went years and years of bootstrapping and building the company and getting it to be, you know, we were almost 10 million in annual sales by the time we went and raised capital because we wanted to really take it big. And so, yeah, that was, you know, in those early days, you said it exactly right. I mean, we were just figuring it out as we went and there were so many iterations for in those first several years before we got to where we have, you know, we had our Infusionsoft product. And so it was when you started out in 2002, it was you and a couple of partners, I believe. Correct. So three of you together. Um, Why did you start? Like, what was it? What happened that made the three of you I think it was yourself, Eric and Scott, right? That's right. Yes. What was it that made the three of you go, you know what, we're going to get together and we're going to start a software company. What, what, like, just give me the rationale for that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I saw my friends, families who owned businesses and I saw that they were, you know, I, I'd see the success of it. And, and so I kind of, at an early age, I kind of had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to create my own business at some point. 
But then I went through all the schooling and education and I got a ton of debt, student debt. And so I came out of school and I, by, by chance, I ended up working with a software company. I was playing basketball one night with some friends and they had started this software company and they were like, hey, you should come help us with this thing. Long story short, I ended up working in software, which I never would have thought was going to happen. It was not, I'm, not a, I'm not a techie guy. That's not who I am. Um, my economics degree, MBA, you know, I, I was like, well, I'll go help these guys for a little bit. But then I loved it. I was like, this is really cool. So I got into tech and I kind of got bit by this bug of how fun it was to do tech. But I had all this student debt when I graduated. And meanwhile, my wife's two younger brothers were doing custom software for people. They were building custom software projects. And I knew these two guys were brilliant. I was like, I was watching what they were creating. And I was like, that's amazing that for a few thousand dollars, you're creating this custom thing for a, you know, a customer that, would, that should cost, like big businesses spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for this kind of thing. So I saw they were really, really good. And I had all this debt and I had this desire eventually to be, you know, to own my own business. And those three things sort of began converging and then 9-11 hit. And when 9-11 happened, it caused me to rethink my normal career path and caused me to say, I remember one time a friend said, well, you might just have to make your own path because Firms stopped hiring, you know, things were changing. And so 9-11 was actually the catalyst that caused me to talk to my brothers-in-law and begin to, for the first time, take interest in what they were doing. Long story short, I, I realized that I could pay off my student debt faster by building a business with my brothers-in-law than I could by, you know, getting a paycheck each week with a company and trying to save a little bit to pay off student debt. So I joined up with them. The thinking was we would build it up for three or four years, sell it. I'd pay off my student debt and move on to the next thing. And in the meantime, I fell in love with the business, fell in love with empowering entrepreneurs with sales and marketing automation. And the rest is history. You, you know, what? again, it's fascinating for me to hear, just like you said right at the start, that it your vision really was relatively short term, three to five years, sell it, pay off the student debt, amazing. Yes. And and what actually happened is it became much bigger than that. And I think that's actually common. The more highly successful entrepreneurs that I that I speak with and 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 interview, the more I hear versions of that where in actual fact, you know what? The vision at the start was nowhere near as big as it's become. Totally. Um, and and I think actually a lot of people have this grand vision of how they're going to do something huge and change the world. And, and actually it's almost too big at the start. And so what I, you know, the, the phrase that I've kind of coined is think big, start small. So yep. look at those first few steps and you were only looking three to five years out. And that's probably why you had the success you had. And then of course you saw the next five years. Okay. Um, or the next step to eight figures to nine figures to whatever. Um, yes. So, so real quick, you, you know that I have, I work with family in my business. Yes. In your mind, what are the pros and cons of working? And I know that it's not just your two partners who of course are your brothers-in-law, but you've had other family members 
um, be key members of your of your company. So, what have been the pros and cons of those dynamics? Right. Uh, so the pros are you have a lot of trust, a lot of um, you have a lot of understanding of each other. So the so the trust is high. The 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 connection, the camaraderie is natural. And I think that's a huge pro when you're making decisions and you're trying to work through things. You know, there's a, there's a book written by Stephen Covey wrote seven habits. His son wrote a book called the speed of trust and things just move a lot faster when there's trust. So you can move faster in, in, you know, when you have family, you, you know, you get each other, you understand there's a lot that you don't have to slow down and communicate. That's a great pro. Another great pro is you care about each other. You're in this for something more than just a paycheck or, or money. You know, you really care about each other's success. Um, and you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. That's really valuable as team members when you know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So those are some of the pros. Um, you know, some of the cons are uh, if you're not, depending on the relationship, some people won't say what needs to be said. And you, you got to say what needs to be said in business. You got to, you got to have, you got to be real. You got to be open. You got to be honest with each other. And so early on, we, we faced that issue by, I just got with my co-founders and said, look, we need to have it straight. We need to have straight talk. We cannot hold back. If this business is going to be successful, we've got to communicate well. And we, we, we came to call those awkward moments of communication, stretchy smile moments. You know, you're, you're trying to smile through it, but you have this kind of forced smile. <laughs> it's not very, and, and so you got to have stretchy smile moments. You got to say the real, you got to talk through it. You got to call each other out on stuff. And a lot of times a con is that family members won't do that. Another con is you have perceptions of nepotism. And no matter how, um, untrue it is perception can become reality and you've got to you've got to address that with people so i always tell family members look the bar's higher on you than it is on anybody else that's yes. just the way it is and you got to understand that and accept that and there, because if there's even the slightest bit of um, compromise on the standard you would set for everybody else that gets magnified and turned into a nepotism thing and so you have to address that. That's a con. Um, you know, another con is that uh, sometimes you, it's not just that you don't say what needs to be said, but, but sometimes you, you are a little bit, you, you don't work on challenges and things because you might see things the same way. So, you, you know, you don't get the benefit of diverse thinking and that can sometimes be a challenge as well. The company can be a little bit insular. And I've seen that at times in our company's history where, where we need to broaden the thinking out a little bit, stretch it, and, and um, you know that's an important part of the, the growth of the company. Hey, real quick, if you've been listening to the Empire Builders podcast for any length of time, you'll know that I do not run ads on this podcast. And what you should also know about me is that I only partner with companies who I absolutely 100% believe in. And so I'm making an exception because of my partnership and my loyalty to keep. So since 2010, I've been using 
Keep, which was previously known as Infusionsoft, to automate all the sales and marketing in my business, deliver world-class experience to my clients, run e-commerce reports, manage affiliates, partners, and loads more. I really believe that Keep is the best CRM on the planet for small businesses, for entrepreneurs that are building their empire. Many of my guests on this podcast use it, and pretty much all of my closest friends in the industry also use it. That should speak volumes. So uh, Infusionsoft recently rebranded to Keep, K-E-A-P, and what they've also done is brilliantly made it even more affordable, even more usable for businesses that are at different stages of their journey. So to go and get a free demo, all you need to do is go to keep.com, that's K-E-A-P, keep.com forward slash empire builders. And by using that link, I've negotiated the best possible deal for Empire Builders subscribers. So go to keep.com forward slash Empire Builders. You get a free demo. And when you go through that unique link, it means you'll get the best possible deal because you're a subscriber of this podcast. So let's get back to the show. So all things being equal, like let's say for argument's sake, you're making a senior hire in your business. Yeah. Weighing up these pros and cons. Let's say you've got, you know, a family member or, or maybe not even a family member, maybe make this more practical for people that are listening. Um, somebody that you already have a friendship, a connection with, you've, you know, you, you've got that um, relationship already built versus somebody who's, you know, just come through traditional recruitment agency or, or, or marketing. Um, which one are you going to go for? Um, it's an awesome question. And it, 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 my answer depends on the stage of the business. If the business is one to 10 employees, I'm going for the family member. If the business is, call it 11 to 50 employees, um, I would probably lean toward the family member um, still. As it gets over 50, the bigger the company gets, the more I would lean toward a senior member of the executive team um, not being a family member. That's now, fascinating. That is fascinating. And you know what? I'm so, I nearly didn't ask the question because I thought the answer was going to be so obvious. I thought mm-hmm. I knew what you were going to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what you were going to say. And that's why I'm so happy <laughs> I asked the question. I'm glad you asked it. And by the way, that doesn't mean that I would not hire a, sen- a family member as a sure. senior member of the team today, you know, with 400 plus employees. Like, yeah, I, I would. But it's got to be just the right situation. And the, the odds make it, you know, they start to stack up and make it more challenging. But when you're small, boy, there's a lot of advantage in it. Yeah, mate, amazing. Um, and yeah, like I said, not the, not the answer I was expecting. So love that. Um, you, you might remember that in September 2014, I came and participated in a, I think it was a three-day training that you ran, um, your team yeah. hosted at your offices um, in Arizona called Elite Forum. And that that training was all about how do you take a seven-figure business and turn it into an eight-figure business? And by the way, I can, I can share this secret with you now. At the time, we weren't a seven-figure business, <laughs> but we wanted to be so much. And we were, you know, 
mid to high six figure business and we were like yeah. hey you know what like we it, it certainly the marketing of that program worked on me because it made me <laughs> even though i didn't quite qualify i kind of slipped through the back yeah. door but um first of all i mean what an amazing uh three days what an amazing training i still to this day use um the strategic planning process that you taught you know um we, we you know our, our vision our mission our purpose all of that really um the first time I ever really came across any of these principles was that, that training. So um, forever grateful for that. Um, summarize for our listeners, what do you think are the biggest differences? I, I talk a lot about the phases of growth and how, yeah. you know, it's a different game. And I think you've, yeah. you've probably already alluded to that. Um, so the, there's, there's a few different stages of growth I want to talk about. What's yeah. the biggest difference in your mind between a six-figure business and a seven-figure business, first of yeah. all? What are the different yeah. areas that are important or critical at those different stages? Great. It's a great question. And by the way, you you were an awesome uh, student in that workshop in 2014. And that program, it's now we spun that out. It's its own company called Elite Entrepreneurs, but it continues to do exactly the same thing. And it's amazing. It's, you know, for business, it's really cool. Um, you were a great student of it. Um, and you do a, you, you know, you've, I, I love seeing your success. And you, as you know, I talk about those stages all the time. And so by the way, for everybody, the way that I describe it is the stages change at the ones and threes of revenue. And, um, you know, when a hundred thousand dollar business or, and then by the way, you can apply this to pounds is the same yeah. thing because it's really about one and three, not so much about exactly the spot, but as a company triples in size, it becomes a very different company. And we don't see that as entrepreneurs sometimes. So we think our $100,000 business or 100,000 pound business is the same thing as 300,000. It's not. And then when you get to a million, it's a whole new thing. So to get to your point about when you move from the stage to seven figures, what happens is now you've got to have marketing systems that are, that are working for you very effectively. In the early stages, you can be very good at selling. You can be very good at um, managing your time effectively, focusing on the right activities. And the, the charisma and enthusiasm, or maybe the better way to say it, is the passion of the entrepreneur is sufficient to get to that seven-figure mark. Yes. And you, you had it. You just described it. When you were close, you know, you're, you're five, six, seven hundred thousand. Like you could see the peak of seven figures, right? You're like, oh, we're going. And your passion drives you to that. But what happens is once you crest at that spot, a lot of times entrepreneurs plateau because what happens there is it starts to become about systems, about people, leadership. And so, you know, it's the classic, what got you here won't get you there. And yet entrepreneurs don't see that a lot of times. And so if, if, you put, if I had to put my finger right on it, I would say your marketing systems have to be really effective when you get to that seven-figure mark or it'll break down. And then you have to start learning how to lead people. And to that point, most of the time, the entrepreneurs got somewhere between five and 15 employees, um, maybe as high as 20 if they're growing really fast. But generally, they've got you know 10 employees, give or take a few. and They've been able to lead it themselves and people kind of just sort of by osmosis, they get it by being around the leader. 
But now you start to get to a place where you got to hire more people and it becomes a people game. And it's, and that's unfortunately where a lot of times entrepreneurs take themselves out of the game because much like many people have a math block, many entrepreneurs have a leadership block and they think I didn't get an MBA. I wasn't, I wasn't born for this. I like it better when it's just me and a couple of people and they, they limit the impact they can have and the wealth they can create, the empire they can build because they don't take on the leadership challenge. Yeah, I love that. And, and um, selfish question. By the way, I ask a lot of selfish questions on this podcast. <laughs> Most of the guests are actually people. I just want to pick your brains for 45 minutes. Or love it. Um, I ask a lot of selfish questions. So you, you talked about the ones and threes, which I totally get. And you, I've heard you share that before. Um, you shared a little bit about, you know, once you tip over seven figures, it's really having your marketing systems and to step into leadership. What's the biggest difference then to get to 10 million? Cause that's yeah. my, well, that's the next kind of landmark or, 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 or kind of benchmark for me. So yeah, yeah. like getting to eight figures, we're not there yet. We're working on that mission. What What's the big focus in your mind or in your experience when you're tipping towards from, from multi-seven to eight figures? Yeah. What happens from seven figures to eight figures is it becomes about uh, leading people. Yeah. When you get to 10, it becomes about leading leaders. Yes. So the leaders have to lead the people, but you've got to lead the leaders. And that requires a, a more um, intentional style of leadership. And it's, it's a, it, you know, it, you can think of it as, you know, you get your, your bachelor's degree in leadership when you go from seven figures to eight figures, but now you got to become a master of leadership and leading through leaders. And the, the way I say it is you get to that point where you're hiring people you don't know who are hiring people they don't know. So, <laughs> so if you don't know how to put the, the, the programs in place and lead those programs through, the, through your leaders, then you got people on the front lines that are doing stuff that's just going to be appalling to you. You're going to be like, what the heck are we doing? And so the, because you're leading leaders and you're, you're building that true leadership team, that's why the purpose, the values, the mission, the programs that you're creating are so critical. And you have to learn how to, to um, put that structure in place so that leaders can lead congruent to the purpose, values, and mission. A lot of that resonates and I'm fam I'm feeling and I'm familiar with a lot of what you just said. Um, so I guess let's finish off this section here by, my, I guess then, what's the difference between, uh, if it's ones and threes, what's the difference between a 10 million a year business versus a 30 million a year business versus a hundred million a year business? Yeah, awesome question. Round, round this off for me. Yes, as you get to 30 million, your leadership team, um, they really have to become um, united and effective as a team. So you now as the CEO, you're not just leading through leaders. You become an, you have to become an excellent team builder. Where, where By team builder, I don't mean, oh, okay, um, I hire someone who's great at customer success and I hire somebody who's great at marketing and I hire, no, no. We've all watched, you watch sports. And you watch, the, you watch the teams who have a collection of talent 
versus the teams who have a true um, teamwork. They've got a, they've got synergy. They all make each other better. Mm. And that team wins at every day. That, that team's going to win every time. And so you've got to become the leader of a team. So you're not just leading leaders who are doing their thing, but you're actually bringing them together. And as you go from 30 million to a hundred million, you've, you've got to become a fantastic team. And that is, that's a new job. You know, that becomes a new challenge for the CEO. And you can see why a lot of times CEOs, as they go from a million and scale all the way up to hundred million, not very many of them are still around. Yeah. The company will get to a certain point and either the CEO says, you know, takes themselves out or, you know, ownership, you know, has formed around it and they move out the CEO because the CEO has got to be willing to take on those leadership responsibilities and has to be growing herself or himself in a way that's building the team and moving everybody forward according to the vision. So, so you've been in the CEO role in this company and it's evolved a lot over the last 19 years, but you've been in that role for a significant portion of that 19 years, I believe. Yes. Yep. I, I was not the CEO when it was three of us as partners. We kind of co-did it for the first year, you know, a couple of years and that didn't work so great. <laughs> yeah, that, that I've, um, not from personal experience, but I've um, observed and heard stories from people like yourself where you go, yeah, that just doesn't work. You need no, a CEO who's going to lead. need a leader. Don't manage as a partnership. It sucks. Um, <laughs> and then I also had a period for three years from 2017 to 2020 where I was CEO by title, but the entire company reported to a COO and I had no, in, I had no involvement in the day-to-day operations or I wasn't supposed to when I did have involvement I got in trouble (laughs) so so that was uh, a period of time where I wasn't I was I might have had the title of CEO but I wasn't leading the company and that's a whole separate thing we can talk about a different time but um, I'm grateful that I'm not in those early days where we led by partnership and I'm not in that murky period of time from 2017 to 2020 where I wasn't truly leading the operation of the company so what, what do you love most about being the CEO? Um, I love, I love working with a team. I love building a team to accomplish a big vision. Um, you know, I have a, you might be familiar with Dan Sullivan of strategic coach. Yeah. He has a concept called unique ability. That's a really good concept for entrepreneurs to come to know what, you know, what's your unique ability. What do you do? that makes you so special. And my unique ability is that I co-create a vision and inspire others to achieve it with genuine care for all involved. That's my, that's my articulation of my, of my unique ability that I discovered 12 or 13 years ago and have focused on and refined. And so when you hear that, I love to co-create a strategic vision. I love, to, I love that we're up to something big, and I love that we've worked on it together, that we, we crafted that together. It's not something that you know, the leaders just said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and sort of dictates it and hands it to everybody. That's a way. That's not my way. That's not what I love to do. I love to co-create a strategic vision, and then I love to inspire others to achieve it, whether they're employees or partners or customers or investors or whatever. I love to inspire people to achieve that. And then I just, I have genuine care for all that are involved in what we're up to. 
So that's why I love doing it. I, when, when you understand that's my unique ability. Well, I love building a team. I, I, I love the challenge of this big thing that we're up to. I love it. And I don't really want to use the word hate. Hate's a strong word. So <laughs> let, let me water it down a little bit and say, what, what do you dislike sometimes about being the CEO? Um, I'm going to be totally real with you. I dislike that some people can only see that Clayt is a CEO. I dislike not being able to just be me mm. without people attaching my role to it, having thoughts, agenda, belief about where I'm coming from or what I'm trying to do. There is, uh, and I've heard, I've heard, um, I've heard famous athletes and entertainers say something like this, and I didn't really understand it, but I understand it now. Not that I'm in, you know, not that I'm famous or not, I'm not saying that, but there's a certain you-ness. There's a certain part of your identity that others unwitting, they, they unwittingly take it away from you because they just see you as the CEO. Yeah. That, that part's kind of sad for me. That, that part's kind of frustrating for me at times. Like, I just want to be me. And sometimes I don't get to do that. That's frustrating. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, maybe you don't get to connect with um, maybe certain team members. Well, I'll, I'll speak for myself rather than project it onto you. Like, you know, do my team members behave differently when I'm around? Versus when I'm right. not around, right? I'm pretty sure that is the case. Right. When right. they when they you know go out on a Friday evening together because they do and they've we've got great culture, great connection. They they I actually joke sometimes. I go, you you must actually really like each other to spend this much time together by choice. Um, right. But I know that they probably behave differently when I'm there versus when I'm not, and. And I guess, you know, uh, that, that um, I wouldn't say it, it, it upsets me or it's a shame. It's just like, hey, it'd be cool to be right. able to hang out and you right. be completely you. Right. But I guess to a certain extent, am I completely me when I'm around that team? Maybe not. Like, right. would I, right. am I different when I'm with my wife and kids or when I'm hanging out with my friends watching the football on the golf course? Am I different there than I am in front of my, my team? Probably a little bit, yeah. You just nailed it. And that's the thing that um, it, it goes both ways. And sometimes I take myself out of being just plate when I don't need to do that. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, my coach would say, your team wants you to show up as just plate. Your people want you to show up as just plate. As, as much as you want them to treat you as just clay and you can't control how they're going to treat you, but you can control how you show up. Mm. And so I'm, um, you know, this has been a, this conversation has been a good reminder of what my coach has shared with me a few times of just being our, be, just being our authentic selves and let others perceive or see or do what they're going to do. We can't control that, but we can control just being ourselves. So like, one of the things that I respect most about you and, and that inspired me most when I first came to your, your offices and, and met your team, which I think was probably before 2014, I think it was probably 2012, 2013. 
I, like I was just blown away by the culture. Like literally I walked into the door and I was like, this does not feel like a workplace. This, yeah. a lot of work is done here clearly. Right. But it feels like the sort of place that I'd like to just come and hang out. And, <laughs> and the energy was amazing. And, and literally the environment physically, like how you'd created and built the environment, just everything about it. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to build, you know, yeah, a yeah. version of this. So um, what, what do you think are, as the leader, as the CEO, um, the person that's there to drive the vision, what, what do you think the key components are to building a culture like that? And of course, there are a lot of different elements of culture, but like how would somebody who's, maybe, maybe just to make this question a little bit more relevant, imagine somebody is in the early-ish stages of building their business. Maybe they've got three, four, five employees. Um They've got a little office. Maybe they've got one or two people working as outsourcers. Like, how do they take it from there to create, like, this amazing culture where people absolutely buy into the vision and they love the environment and they've got connection between themselves, their team members, the other departments. Like, how do you move it from, from there to there? Because um, that's what that's when the penny really dropped for me and, and like, you know, I, I just had four or five employees and we were just working. That was yeah. it. Right. So how do you, how do you like, give us some thoughts on how you take it from just, we, we've got a business where we're working together versus like, we've got this amazing culture, this amazing vibe. It is a fantastic question. Um, as you know, I share a lot of this in elite as I, yeah. I talk with entrepreneurs about it. I'm going to try to, you know, I'll try to distill it down to just a few things and you can feel free to ask follow-up questions. But the first thing is to understand that culture is a group of people who have come together with a common cause. That's, that's what makes a great culture. And a lot of times people, they don't, they don't know how to articulate it. And so, we try to help people understand that culture in, in elite, as you know, I say we, because even though we spun it off, I still get involved in the mastermind group and um, I'm, in, I'm involved in that. And I, and I just love helping entrepreneurs grow. So you got to understand that culture is at its core. It's the, it's the vision of the company, the purpose of the company and the mission of the company. We talk about this as purpose, values, mission. Purpose is why it exists. And I start with purpose, just like Simon Sinek, start with why, right? Why are we doing what we're doing? There has to be a deep why that unites the people in order to create a culture. And then the mission is what we're doing. There has to be a, a compelling um, butterflies in the stomach inducing big, hairy, audacious goal. Like there's got to be a big thing that you're up to. And that's the mission. And then there's the values. And that's how we do what we do. It's sort of the, the social contract with each other. And so when you get the purpose and the values and the mission, that comes together to form the vision of the company. And that's what culture forms around. Sometimes people will see, you know, Silicon Valley software companies with a great culture. And they think it's because people are riding around on scooters and throwing a football and sitting around, uh, you know, playing ping pong or whatever. 
that that's those are all maybe um sim you know symbols or pieces of the culture but the culture is actually all those people who have come together around a common cause and they are bound and united by it and they love it and they're passionate about it and they hate the opposite of it and i'll use that strong word hate like they they really they're they're bound to it so when when you want if you come when you walked into the doors of our company you saw and felt the energy but what what was giving off that energy was a group of people united by what what why we do what we do what we do and how we go about doing it and then all of the all of the things that you see that you might say are culture are really just appendages of that they just you know they come off of that but it's really that's it the the purpose the values and the mission yeah i get i guess you talk about you know silicon valley businesses and or companies and they've got you know fun things physically in the environment table tennis right. ping pong as you call it or whatever you, yeah. you go in my mind i go can you have those things and not have a powerful culture Yes, I believe you can. And on the flip side, as long as you have purpose, mission, values, you've got clarity of why you do what you do and how you do it, can you have great culture without those those things, those appendages, as you say? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. So where it starts with really what culture starts with is purpose, mission, values, and um, having a group of people who have come together or united for a common cause. And then because you're doing that, of course, then there'll be these quirky little things that will kind of naturally occur. And, and, you know, people will start to find ways to make it more fun. And especially if that's aligned with the values and, and and the mission of the business. So yeah. um, Fascinating to hear your thoughts on, on that. Cause I, I think the word culture is used a lot. It's thrown around a lot. Actually, yes. you know what? This has been fascinating for me because I go, I use that word a lot and um, maybe don't explain as elegantly or clearly as you just did really what it means. And so it's really made me stop and think a little bit about that. Um, yeah. And let, me, and let me say what happens. So there's two problems. There's, there's two things that hold entrepreneurs back from having a great culture. Um, a lot of times they'll, you know, I've talked to lots and lots of entrepreneurs who see our culture and just like you, they're like, man, I want that. But there are two things that, that, that you have to overcome as the entrepreneur in order to achieve it. The first is you have to be disciplined enough to actually spell out your purpose, your values, and your mission. Yeah. And by the way, anybody who wants to, figure, to learn how to do this, go read chapter two of a book called Beyond Entrepreneurship, get the original version. There's a Beyond Entrepreneurship 2.0. I just got it actually. Um, but the original, and I don't know if it's chapter two in there. I don't think it is. But the, the guy that wrote this book is a guy named Jim Collins. He is the same guy that wrote Good to Great and Built to Last. And But he his very first book he wrote was called Beyond Entrepreneurship. And it was teaching entrepreneurs how to build something beyond a startup or a nice small business. And he called it beyond entrepreneurship, but chapter two in his original beyond entrepreneurship talks about how to create the vision for your company. And it's about purpose, values, mission. Go read that book. If you're serious about this, 
there's no better half hour of your time than you could spend than to go read this. It's really powerful. And it's a lot of times what happens is entrepreneurs, their first challenge in doing this is they don't, they, they just, they don't have the discipline to actually create it. The second thing, let's say they actually have it. They've spent some time, they've co-created with their team. They didn't just go in their office, write it down, come out and tell everybody this is it because that then people don't buy into it and it doesn't actually get legs and, and go. You have to do it with people. But even once you've got it, here's what happens. Like, Nick, this is the reason why people don't get it. I, I, I've, it's become so clear to me as I've studied this over the past decade. They don't hire, train, and fire to the purpose, values, and mission. When they hire, they're hiring for a skill set, and then they see if there's a culture fit, maybe. A lot of times they don't even do that second step. It's the other way around. Don't even talk to anybody if they don't fit your culture. It's a waste of time. You're gonna bring, you're gonna, what you're gonna do is you're gonna fall in love with somebody that's got this great skill set, and they're gonna be a misfit in your culture that's gonna screw up the company. But they're super smart and they're great at their role, and their leader will always justify or think, yeah, but they did such a good job. Don't hire people, don't even interview, don't, they don't even go down the path unless you first screen them for your culture. That's the first thing on hiring. Training. When people fall outside of your values and they're they are exhibiting behavior that doesn't line up with what you want, stop it. Train them, teach them, change it. It's like you know potty training a little kid. When, you know they're <laughs> when they're when they're doing something you don't want them to do, you train them. You stop that. You know you you do it. You move it. So and then the last thing is if they don't come around, fire them. Get them, sack them, as you would say. Get them out. Right? Get them out of the business because you have to hold your culture sacred and it has to be bound by people who share the purpose, values, mission. Don't let them in. Don't tolerate it and get them out if they fall outside the purpose, values, mission. And you, if you do that, if you articulate purpose, values, mission and you hire, train and fire to it, it's not possible to have a bad culture. It will be an amazing culture. Amazing. Love that. Slightly passionate about that. Sorry. <laughs> love, love that. Love that. So, so um, uh, by the way, th this question might, I, I don't know if you're even okay with me asking this, but I'm going to go for it because I've got you. Um, yeah. And we can always edit it out if you don't. <laughs> so, like, you've been CEO for quite a long time now. You know, you've, yeah. you've been part of the business. It's been running for 19 years. And um, there's been, you know, amazing astronomical growth, there's been some challenges, some ups and downs. Like, frankly, and I don't know, it's none of my business. I go, frankly, you could have retired. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing, again, none of my business. I'm not expecting you to comment on this. You could have retired a very wealthy man by this point. So why are you still CEO of this company? Why are you, yeah. still, why are you still there every day as CEO leading this business when frankly, you don't really need to. Like you could have checked out, exited, cashed in your chips and yep. like, you know, retired to paradise. Like what, why not? Like what's, yeah. what's keeping you there? It's an awesome question. And I'll answer it by this is why purpose, values and mission is so critical. Hmm. Our mission is to simplify growth for 1 million entrepreneurs worldwide by 2030. We haven't done that yet. I am on that mission. Our purpose is to liberate and empower entrepreneurs to strengthen families, communities, and economies. 
I am lit up by liberating and empowering entrepreneurs and the impact that successful entrepreneurs have on their families, communities, and economies. I love our values. I love the team. I love what we're up to. And I love the challenge. I love the challenge. Infusionsoft helped us build the business and get to where we've got a couple hundred thousand people using our software. But what we're doing now with Keep is democratizing sales and marketing automation and taking it to entrepreneurs and making it possible for them to achieve their business goals and have the life they want. Super satisfying to me. And then doing that with all of our people. One of the reasons why culture and specifically the purpose, values, and mission is so important is because it keeps us striving. Another reason why it's important is because it brings a lot of fun and satisfaction. You know, you, when you weed out the people that don't fit, it's a lot more fun being in the company. <laughs> By the way, one of the things about this is you don't make the people who don't fit wrong or bad. Sure. They just have a different set of values, a different thing that they care about, a different mission, a different purpose. But, you know, there's 7 billion people on the planet. I want the people in this company who share our purpose that we liberate and empower entrepreneurs with sales and marketing automation. I want them to share our mission that we simplify growth for a million entrepreneurs worldwide by 2030. I want them to share the values of how we go about doing what we do. And in a really interesting way, the culture then reinforces you. It reinvigorates you when you're down. It, 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 it ignites you and fires you up when, when you see that next peak. You know, you talked about when we started this business, we didn't set a vision that had a million entrepreneurs by 2030 sure. worldwide. We didn't have a purpose to liberate and empower entrepreneurs. It takes time to develop those things. And when your, your mission is something that you, uh, it's the current thing that you're up to, whereas your purpose is enduring and abiding. And so that liberating and empowering entrepreneurs, we stated that many, many years ago, but it wasn't until just a few years ago that we stated this mission. And I like to think of it as it's like climbing mountains. You get to one peak and that you can see. And when you get there, it's a, it's a rush. It's a thrill. It's exhilarating. And then you see another peak and you're like, yeah, I want to go do that. I want to go get to that next peak with this team serving these customers and doing what we're doing. So that's why it's, it's my, it's my passion for our purpose, values, and mission. Amazing. I've got a tactical question because. No, let me tell you one more, one more practical thing. My daughter, my youngest daughter is 12 and she graduates in seven years. And Cherie says, there's no point in you doing anything different till at least when she graduates anyway. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so really, it's, it's just about getting you out of the house. Right. Much, that would have been the much more simple answer to the question, why do you still do what you do? Because she doesn't want you in the house all the time. That's for right. at least the next seven years anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, like more tactical question, because um, I think you guys get a lot right. Um, one of the things that I think you've done brilliantly, and this kind of ties into how we have worked together in the past and how we are working together now, you, you're brilliant. I think how you really um, built Infusionsoft and, and now keep primarily was through referral partners, affiliates, partnerships. You, you're so good at that. Um, and I think um, 
I'm happy to admit like my strengths and weaknesses. I think I'm very good at building partnerships. And what I haven't really mastered yet is the ability to build mass partnerships. Like as in, I've got a handful of partners that I work really closely with and those partnerships are really tight and valuable and, and keep being one of them. What, what I haven't managed to do yet, I mean, you, you, at one point, I don't know how many affiliates, referral partners you had introducing people to your software. I mean, it was like an yeah. army, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so how you go about doing that? Because like I said, I, I, I'm all good with building a small number of tight partnerships when it comes to then scaling that to having hundreds of people out there spreading the word about your software, or in my case, hundreds of people out there being advocates for our events or our masterminds, for example, that's not really something I've managed to uh, master or now yet. So yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And it's, it's ironic, maybe it's not ironic, and maybe you planned it perfectly, because it really, it really comes down to the two of the main things we just talked about. One is about team building, and the other is about culture building. Mm. And so what, what, what happens is your, your partners just become an extension of your culture. So, um, and you've got to hire people to lead those partners that fit your culture. So, you know, we, for a long time, my brother Jeff led those partnerships and and he did it very naturally as an extension of our culture, our purpose, our values, our mission. But if it's true that you build partnership, or is it, if it's true that you build a company of employees around purpose, values, and mission, well, you also want to do that around your partnerships. Hmm. And so, you know, when, when we, and by the way, we did this very well for many years with Infusionsoft. Then when we went through that dark period from 2017 to 2020, we stopped doing it. Mm. And I, you know, and it was painful for me because I'm like, I like, this is one of the things we do, but I wasn't leading the day-to-day -day operations. And so I, we weren't doing it. But when I, you know, when I talked to you several months ago, when we said, Hey, we, we, last year, we started building back up the partnerships and I, I want to start building the partnership with you again. What did we talk about right from the beginning? The purpose of this company to liberate and empower entrepreneurs, yeah. the mission that we're up to, to simplify growth for a million entrepreneurs worldwide. And the fact that our work at Keep is to go to the masses of small businesses and distill from them those who want to be entrepreneurs, those who want to find a better way. Because while I'm very passionate about small businesses, I've learned that I, I, I can't save them. They have to have a desire to do it a better way. And that's called an entrepreneur. That's a small business entrepreneur, as opposed to the masses of small business that really just have a job. They're not trying to grow something and build something. And so what did I do? I went to partners who are like-minded. It's not, it's not a coincidence that your podcast is called Empire Builders. You work with builders, right? You work with people that don't just want to have a small business. They want to build something. They want to have an impact. They want to financially succeed. They want time. They want money, freedom, and they want to make a difference for their customers, their partners, their, their employees. That's the kind of entrepreneur that I love to serve. So if you, take a, if you say, hey, I want to build great partnerships, then take a step back, know who you are, right? The old know thyself, 
Mm-hmm. Know your purpose, values, and mission, and then go find the like-minded people who share that purpose, values, and mission so that you, you can come together and connect. Because when you connect, it's like it's like electricity. It's energetic. Like it's like it creates energy when you come together because you both are magnetic in terms of what you're doing. And so then that becomes very natural to say, okay, now let's go build this partnership because we've got a sales and marketing automation platform that's an absolute game changer for entrepreneurs. And then you get excited about talking about it. And then we get excited about talking about what you do to help your, to help your tribe, your people build their empire. And we get on podcasts and we geek out about stuff that a lot of people would say, what do you guys, why do you guys get so passionate about that? Because we know how, how real this is. So that hopefully helps you understand both from a leadership standpoint to get the right kind of people to lead the program and a, a culture standpoint to be grounded in your purpose values mission to attract and work with partners that share that purpose values mission. Thank you. Um, And we're going to wrap in a moment before we do that. um, And I don't think, you know, I'm actually going to do this, but I just want to share with our listeners that look, I have been using this software in its various different forms since 2010. Um, and I've been using it to automate our sales and marketing and to deliver a world-class experience for our clients and to run e-commerce reports and manage our referral partners and loads more. And the software is great. And hopefully from this interview, you can hear and you can feel that Keep and Clate as the leader of this company are about more than just software. There really is a mission. There really is a heart in this company. And um, you know, I would just urge any of our listeners. I mean, I do really believe, and you know, I've been using the software for 10, 11 years now. Um, I really believe that it is hands down the best um platform on the planet when it comes to implementing marketing and sales automation in small businesses, in growing businesses as well. Um, and so what I'd like to invite you to do is just find out more about it and you can go to keep.com forward slash empire builders. So keep K E A P.com forward slash empire builders, the name of this podcast, you can get a free demo. So just check the software out and one of Clay's team will kind of demo it for you and you can answer any questions, no obligation. Um, And by the way, I've also due to the partnership that we have, um, I've negotiated like the best possible deal that you can get to uh, to start using this software for our subscribers, especially. And what I love, Clay, about what you've done and how you've evolved the software is that I think that now, um, which maybe wasn't always the case, you have a way for a fledgling business to use this software and it's right. a game changer. And somebody who's really in that aggressive growth phase to use a different version of the software and it'd be a game changer. And then for people like me who are really in that scale phase, you know, we're pushing towards eight figures to have a version of the software works for us as well, which I think has been a really good change that you've made. Um, So look, I can't speak highly enough, A, of the software, but B, of the people behind it. So I'd really encourage you uh, as a listener to this podcast to go along to keep.com, K-E-A-P.com forward slash Empire Builders. Um, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Get yourself a free demo. You can find out more about the software and how it works. And I just can't recommend it highly enough. Well, thanks for doing that. I didn't know you were going to share that. 
I, I love the partnership that we that we had in the past. I'm so glad we rekindled it. It's awesome to see the great things you're doing to empower entrepreneurs. You know, we're 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 two peas in a pod when it comes that way. It comes to that, we're, we're like minded. And I just you know I just want to give a shout out to your empire builders, your you know your, your clientele because it's not easy being an entrepreneur. It's it's easy to you know heaven knows there's times where you want to quit. It's the whole reason we call the company Keep. Keep going, keep serving, keep growing. It's about the grit of entrepreneurship. And uh, I, I want to just give a, a shout out and a nod to all those who, who do what they do and are making a difference in the world and in the way that they have impact for their customers and employees and everybody that's associated with their businesses. So congrats to all you're doing. I'm glad we get to keep working together and um, build this partnership and Hopefully I'll get across the pond over there and be with you guys at some point at an event or something. I'd look forward to that. I'd love that. I'd love that. Well, now you've said it and everyone's heard it. You are coming to the UK. You tell me when, give me a, give me some advance notice and I'll come. That's it. I'm holding you to that hundred percent. So Mr. Right. Clay, th thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, also just on a personal note, thank you for being such an inspiration to me as a leader as a model of what a great CEO looks like. And, you know, I continue to admire what you do and, and learn from you. So um, thank you for your time today. And like, thank you for being such an inspiring empire builder. Thank you, Nick. Great to be with you. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.